That's 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the Masson Newsroom, it is the Masson All Access Podcast brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. Paul Mancano here with you on the very day that players report to the first ever summer camp, which is, I believe, presented by Camping World. Not in the references we're going to make to it, but they did need a sponsor for everything. Uh, as Major League Baseball is prone to do. So Paul Mancano here with you, as joined by Brendan Mortensen, who also joins us via Zoom. Uh, Brendan, somehow today we uh, did not match, which I think is the first time we have done that in the history of the podcast. I think ever. This is the first yeah. podcast where we're not wearing matching shirts, and, and that's incredible. I think it adds some some diversity to the podcast and, and changes things up, you know? It's, yeah. It's a good switch. No, exactly. I mean, it's it's... It, it shows that we are not sharing the same brain, which is, uh, you know. That's you know, nice. Yeah. 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 Good to know. I wonder sometimes. Uh, mm. Brendan, today we are going to give a refresher course for Orioles fans who uh, have not seen baseball in several months, like all of us, and are wanting to know what the summer camp battles are going to look like, the positional battles and the biggest storylines heading into summer camp, because it has been literally months since spring training yeah yeah since march 11th 12th 13th since uh spring training was suspended and all of the position battles all of the interesting storylines were just kind of put on hold so we gotta we gotta give a little bit of a refresher course yeah absolutely i mean there's it's interesting to look at the player pool and what the orioles have put in and, and kind of looking at that roster and seeing who could be competing for some of those spots and there's a lot to look at so yeah, and the Orioles, of course, named just 44 players of their 60-man player pool, which I think everybody was a little bit confused because I, I didn't know that you could name fewer than 60 because it was a 60-man player pool, and they were supposed to announce it by a certain time. They named just 44, but the, the thinking there is that uh, once a guy is on a player pool, you can't take him off of that 60-player pool unless you release him, and they don't want to do that with anybody. So they're naming as few guys as possible and those 16 spots will be filled um, in the in the days and weeks to come. Uh, names on there that we're going to be discussing uh, are, you know, there are some names that are not on there that we're going to be discussing, such as Orion Mountcastle. Uh, but we're going to assume, for the sake of this, that uh, guys like Ryan Mountcastle are going to be on there. Uh, but during this podcast, you are going to hear names, the likes of which you have not heard in several months. Names like Eric Hanhold. Uh, names like Cole Stewart, uh, names like, I don't know, uh, Marcus Deplon, as we might remember, uh, Christian Alvarado. All of these names are just now coming back to me, and it is um, it is a wash of information here, Brendan. Well, everybody is trying to figure this out as we go. I mean, we, like you said, pretty much just learned that you didn't have to completely fill out that 60-man player pool, and like you said, Mike Elias is saying that it's a lot easier to add guys than it is to take them off. And it's going to be interesting to see, too, how the Orioles utilize that second location. We don't yeah. exactly know what that training facility is going to be like. Elias kind of alluded to the fact that it's probably going to be some of the more high-profile minor league guys. Yeah. So you're guessing probably you know the Adley Rutschmans, Grayson Rodriguez, guys like that. And it's going to be a mix of that and some guys who are kind of on the cusp of getting to that major league roster, maybe a guy like Orion Mountcastle, where maybe you start him at that second location and push him up in a few weeks, or maybe he just gets added before the season. It's tough to say, but there's, uh, there's a lot more mobility in having those 16 open spots than there is completely filling out the roster and having to waive guys that you might not want to in order to bring up you know, maybe a minor league prospect that you want to see at the major league level. Right. And this is uncharted territory for every team around baseball. And they're all, I think they're all taking different approaches to it because we've seen some teams load up on the high profile prospects already. Like teams are already putting their first round picks from 2019. And there's potentially some first round picks from 2020 being added to that 60 player uh, pool, even though 
those guys are probably not going to see the major leagues this year. So you have to balance between how many guys you want as part of your taxi squad and how many guys you want to get the game reps in and and uh, reps in just in general as you get ready for the season. Hope that they kind of develop along the way, expecting not at all uh, for them to make uh, their major league debuts in 2020. But we're going to talk about, for the, the purpose of this, uh, a lot of position battles that will probably be going on, I'm guessing, at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. The guys that are going to be your major leaguers and your starters um, that were, are not going to be at this second site, but that are going to be doing these battles in Baltimore. So, biggest storylines coming into summer camp. we got to start with the rotation, which was, I think, the biggest storyline uh, uh, position battle as we were leaving camp, right before Trey Mancini, of course, uh, was diagnosed with colon cancer, and we'll get to the replacement of him. But the biggest storyline in general was who is going to be in this Orioles five-man rotation. Uh, and we had some some guaranteed locks, but there are some still some open spots, Brendan. Well, John Means is, of course, the lock at number one. But after that, it, it gets pretty shaky. I mean, there's a few guys that we are pretty certain are going to be in the rotation. Where they're going to be in the rotation, we're not exactly sure either. So I think John Means is really the only one who is solidly at his place in the rotation at number one. He's 99% sure going to be the opening day starter. I mean, there was some conversation, I remember, even during spring training camp about Alex Cobb taking that spot simply because he was the opening tap to be the opening day starter in 2019 before he got injured. But I think given you know all of this time off, who knows how these guys are going to be affected physically assuming John means is 100% he I has to you have to think is going to be opening day starter but I do think there are several guys that are still locks in that rotation Alex Cobb to me is still a lock in that rotation assuming he's fully healthy Asher Wojciechowski I think um, even though the organization shied away Michael Elias Brenheide you know from naming him specifically to the rotation he's pretty much a lock at your number three then uh, Wade LeBlanc, I think, is pretty close to a lock at number four. So there's your one, two, three, four means, Cobb, Wojciechowski, and Wade LeBlanc. Then you start getting into some other guys. Uh, so I think potentially an option for the number five starter, the most likely guy to me is Cole Stewart. If you forgot, it's okay because he was signed back in December. Uh, December 29th, he was last pitch for the Twins. Still 25 years old, younger guy, uh, but... I think when he was signed, he had the expectation that he had a chance to compete for that fifth starter spot, and I still think he does now. Yeah, the interesting thing with Stewart is that he hasn't started a lot of games in his career. He has a 4.79 ERA overall over his career, but in games that he started, which is just six, he has an ERA of over six. So he's going to have to definitely show some improvement in the shorter summer camp that we have for the Orioles to actually put him in that number five spot. But I wouldn't be surprised either if that fifth man in the rotation is honestly more of a rotation itself. I think we could see three or four guys who could potentially pitch in that number five role for the Orioles. Yeah, let's talk about some of those other guys. I think next up on the depth chart in my mind would be Tommy Malone. He's a lefty, 33 years old. In case you forgot, he was signed back in February. Um, as a free agent, he has been a journeyman his entire career, but he last pitched for the Mariners. Did make one start in spring training, pitched two scoreless innings. Older guy, lefty, um, but I think he also, similar to Stewart, uh, signed that deal thinking there could be an, a, a spot for me, and I think he, in theory he could beat out Cole Stewart. I think he could as well, but you know it's going to kind of depend on what position the Orioles are in and at what point in the season they're in. I think Tommy Malone will probably get some more opportunities towards the beginning of the season, but if we get towards you know the halfway point in the season, towards the end, if the Orioles aren't finding a ton of success, then maybe you rotate some of the younger guys in there, like a Cole Stewart, like a Bruce Zimmerman, who we'll touch on, and you know they're just at 25 years old. Maybe if you're Baltimore, you're looking at those guys and seeing some, you know, just see if there's potential there. See if they're the kind of guys that could stick at the back of that rotation over the next few years. And if you have something there, then great. But, you know, you're not going to get a ton of, you know, years down the line with somebody like a Tommy Malone at 33 years old. Right. And Hector Velasquez, 31 years old, is also kind of falls into that camp. Veteran guy, last pitched for the Red Sox, uh, selected off waivers back in March. 
Um, I see Velasquez and Malone as two guys potentially if they don't make that five-man rotation, assuming the Orioles do stick with five guys in that rotation, and who knows with this weird season. Uh, But I could see those guys swing to be long relief in the bullpen, uh, assuming they don't make that rotation. And in theory, you know, either of these guys, we don't know exactly what the rules are, but I think either of these guys still uh, could potentially opt out uh, if they because they were signed to minor league deals, could opt out and say, you know, we'd like to try to get another chance with another team. But in this climate, who knows uh, specifically. But another guy that that is on the younger side, similar to a Cole Stewart, is Bruce Zimmerman, who is coming up through the Orioles system, pitched for Norfolk last year. He's 25 years old. He's a lefty. Uh, If you forgot, it's okay. He came over in the Kevin Gausman trade uh, from the Braves organization. He did get a little bit of run in spring training to some okay success. Seven and two-thirds innings pitched overall. Uh, gave up four earned runs. But um, I think Zimmerman would have to have a great three weeks, three or four weeks of a summer camp uh, if he were to, to jump up into the rotation and steal that spot. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't factor into the Orioles' plans long term. And the other thing with Zimmerman, I think he probably gets you know a start or two. I, I think, like I said, he's going to be the kind of guy – you just see what you have in him. If yeah. there's something there, great, and you move forward with him. If not, you can go on to another guy. And, and I think something that's interesting to note as well is that the Orioles have the flexibility in their roster right now with those 16 spots that they haven't named yet, depending on what the service time rules are. We're not exactly clear on that. There's a few guys in the minor leagues that could potentially get called up at some point during the season and compete for that number five spot. A guy like Michael Bauman, Dean Kramer, Zach Lowther, Keegan Aiken. I think all of those guys have the potential to be called up at some point this year. We'll have to see if the Orioles you know, want to take that chance on their service time with a shortened season, if it's worth it. But I think a few of those guys could get some starts in and really see what you have in them as well. Yeah, I think that that does, like you said, depend on the service time. I, I think I would think that they would be more cautious about bringing those guys up I would think, if right. anything, the shortened season, assuming that they kind of prorate the service time to the point where you get a full season if, you, if you're if you there for about 40 games or so, and this is just kind of assuming. Um, but I think if that's the case, I could see Michael Elias being a little bit more cautious, not wanting to, because you, know, you don't want to burn a whole year of service time for the guy to just be with the team for 40 games. You know, you, you want, right. if, if you're going to burn a year of service time for one of these young guys, you want it to be over the course of a full season. Yeah, absolutely. And depending on what those service time rules are, I think that's going to dictate a lot of what these guys are actually going to be doing. If, like you said, if that service time gets bumped up to a full year, if you're only on the team for a short amount of time, I really don't think it's worth it for any of those guys to get called up. And that might leave you know, some windows of opportunity open for a guy like Bruce Zimmerman to get some more starts in. Yeah. All right. Uh, any of the names that I'm going to list here, let me know if any of these names kind of intrigue you to jump up into the rotation or maybe grab a spot in the bullpen. Cole Solser, Eric Hanhold, Marcos Duplan, Rob Zastrinsky. I never learned how to pronounce his name in the couple weeks of spring training we had with him. Christian Alvarado and Hunter Cervenka. Do you think any of these guys, based uh, solely on what we saw from them in spring training, have the chance to jump into that rotation? I think there's a chance just because of how weird this season is, quite frankly. I mean, I I don't see a harm in starting these guys a game or two here or there, but I don't know if any of these guys are going to have a chance to stick in the rotation long term because of how many arms there are in the Orioles system right now. But maybe in this shortened season, sure, why not? Yeah. Throw them out there. What 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 is there to lose? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, the, the number of, of games obviously is shortened, but the, I think that they could use that fifth spot in the rotation, maybe fourth if somebody gets injured, something happens. Um, they could use at least one of the spots in the rotation as kind of just a rotating cavalcade of different guys that they want to give some kind of experience or reps to. And, and I don't see them being... Uh, you know, you mentioned the guys like Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer. I, I just, as mentioned, I don't see them um, using that spot for one of those guys unless they just want to give him one start here, you know, or or, or an, another there. But I don't see them giving, you know, that multiple starts to one of their high-profile prospects. 
I think it just all depends on the service time, quite yeah. frankly. It, I mean, I hate to keep going back to that same point, but it's just not worth it yeah. to bring up a good minor league arm if they're going to get a full year of service time on their record for only pitching in four or five games, however many times you throw them out there. It's just, it's not worth it. Yeah. Uh, all right, next up in terms of position battles, got to talk about how we the Orioles are going to replace Trey Mancini. Um you know, obviously, I think the plan was for him coming into spring training that you were going to still have Chris Davis at first, still have Renato Nunez as your DH to start the season at least, and Trey Mancini was going to take up a spot in the outfield. Austin Hayes was going to be your opening day center fielder, and I think Anthony Santander had the step on the opening day left field spot. So now you pretty much just have a spot open in right field. And who is going to take that spot? Brendan, let's start with your most likely candidate. This is this is a little bit of a sleeper because I think most people might say DJ Stewart, but I think I'm leaning personally towards Dwight Smith Sr. I, or excuse me, Dwight Smith Jr. <laughs> that that uh, would be a, a heck of a, a return to form from Dwight Smith Sr. That would be a great Sr. return for Dwight Smith Sr. <laughs> I, I Takes think his son's spot the on choice. the roster. <laughs> I, I think Dwight Smith Jr. is the best choice. I think there's also a possibility that maybe he's just used as a rotational outfielder and maybe they don't give him the start in right field. But last year, he hit 241 with 13 home runs and 53 RBIs in 101 games. If you compare that to D.J. Stewart's numbers, D.J. Stewart only played in 44 games. But if you take his numbers and you know kind of guesstimate what he would have done over the same time span, comes out to about nine home runs and 35 RBIs. So Dwight Smith Jr. hasn't beat on the stats a little bit there and he wasn't great defensively in left field junior wasn't and you know he hasn't played any games in right so it'd be interesting to see how he can make that transition but I think if you're looking purely from a production standpoint I think Dwight Smith Jr. gives you the edge and a lot of people you know will think that DJ Stewart kind of has this advantage of you know the age where DJ Stewart is kind of seen as a prospect guy but he's 26. He's been bounced around between the minors and the majors for a few years now, and he's not that young guy with potential. He's really running out of time to keep proving himself at the major league level. All I'm saying is, if we do get DJ, uh, if we do get Dwight Smith Senior on the roster, the content of Mass and All Access would be incredible because we've oh, had him on the great. show before. Yeah. Look, Dwight Smith Junior is great and all, but Dwight Smith Senior just adds something to the show that you, you just can't replace. He really uh, does. Still, I think Junior has the better shot here to beat out Senior. But uh, yeah, I agree. I think DJ Stewart. The reason he got called up, of course, back in 2018 was because at that point the organization just wanted to see what they had in the former first rounder. Um, but right. at this point, now you kind of have a little bit more body of evidence, and it has not been all that great so far. He's up to 26 years old. Um, the good news for him is he still uh, he is fully, from all indications, he has fully recovered from ankle surgery, which he underwent in the off season. So while he was not going to be a participant in regular spring training, and that was going to set him back, now he has the chance to just hit the the ground running in summer camp. So that's an advantage for him. But look, in his major league uh, run last year, in 44 games, he hit just 238 um, with just four homers, and he was at times a liability defensively. Um, so I, I think that he is probably the de facto favorite, but somebody can easily take that job. In terms of Dwight Smith Jr., uh, similar numbers, I think, to DJ Stewart last year in more games at the major league level. He had 241 with 13 homers in just over 100 games. Started out on fire, uh, but then just very quickly cooled off and then had so many injuries inhibit his progress. So I think that, that you know, if you are looking on the positive side for a Dwight Smith Jr., you could say the injuries affected him. What we saw in the first couple months of the 2019 season, that's the guy we expect him to be a little bit more. Um, and look, if, if any of these guys really hits above 250, 260, with a, a little bit of pop and is okay defensively, they should be able to to grab this spot uh, because it's just not a, a, an incredibly strong group of guys here, with the exception of a Ryan Mountcastle. And, you know, it, it all, again, uh, not to beat a dead horse here, but it all does come back to the service time. You know, if they want to, if they think that Ryan Mountcastle is ready for the bigs 100% and ready to play right field, which he still has not had a whole lot of experience in, got a little bit of experience in the outfield in Norfolk last year, but also played third, also DH'd, also 
uh, was at first base. If they think he's ready, then by all means, go for it. Burn that year of service time. It's probably worth playing him for 60 games in right field. But if he's not, if you don't think he's going to make the team out of opening day, better to just save that year of service time. He's still only 23 years old, and he still has all the potential in the world. So just save it for 2021 when it comes to Mountcastle, I think. Well, a few things with Mountcastle. My first question would be, do, is it worth it for Mountcastle to come up for even 40 games? Right. Is, it, is it worth wasting a year of service time for 40 games of Ryan Mountcastle? And the question mark that a lot of people have with him is defensively. We don't know what he's going to do. The question marks on the offensive side have really never been there. Yeah. He's going to be productive at the big league level. Pretty much every scout says so. But defensively, quite honestly, I don't know if he would even be he might not be that much worse than Dwight Smith Jr. or DJ Stewart because you look at both of those guys, their defensive metrics, they're both on the negative side, yeah. which, again, I didn't major in math, but I'm pretty sure that you should be on the positive side and not the negative side when you're looking at those metrics. So even if Ryan Mountcastle is a below-average defender in right field, and not to say that that's an improvement, but you're not getting that much worse. And if you're getting more production offensively, then that's worth it. But like I said, my question, if he's not up at the beginning of the season, is it worth it to have 40 games of Ryan Mountcastle? Right. Yeah, and, and he's he will, I think, no, pretty much no matter what position he plays, he will take his lumps in that position and just, right. you know, it, it, it probably just will not be good no matter where he starts defensively, and you just hope that he improves and you give him that time to develop there. Um, beyond those three guys that we just mentioned to take that spot in right field, do you see Yusniel Diaz sneaking in as a dark horse candidate to take the opening day spot? Personally, I don't. Diaz hasn't had a ton of success in the minors so far, and I think if you are going to call somebody up, it's probably going to be Ryan Mountcastle. Yeah. But I suppose if you don't want to waste a year of service time on Mountcastle and you're just trying to see what you have in Yusniel Diaz, then maybe you call him up and give him a shot. But personally, I think even though he hasn't produced all that well in the minors, I think there's enough potential there with Diaz that you wouldn't want to waste a year of service time with him either. So I think you probably keep him down if he's not ready. And he's probably going to be one of those players that you see a lot of in whatever the Orioles use for that secondary location, whatever the the training facility is going to be. I think he'll have a chance to prove himself there. If he is lights out the first few weeks, then maybe you call him up for 40, 50 games. But anything less than that, I don't think it's worth. Yeah, and, and I agree. I think in terms of with a guy like Yosniel Diaz, and this kind of applies for Mountcastle too, but you don't want his confidence to be shot at any point. Um, and you want him to end the season on a high note. Um, and if you throw him out there, especially a guy like Yosniel Diaz, who just does not have a whole lot of experience. Even in the minor leagues, he's dealt with a ton of injuries the past couple of years. If if he, start, you know, if he plays 40, 50 games, he could struggle a whole lot at the big league level because that's a huge jump from Bowie. And to end the 2020 season on a kind of low note where it's, you know, he, he, not only the fans might be a little bit down on him, but he might be down on himself if he comes up and he hits – 210 because he's not used to big league ball and he's had three months off and he's coming up from double a anyway uh then that could kind of take a hit on his confidence so i don't think it's worth it at that point um right and we were kind of joking too before like what is there to lose of calling some of these guys up but i think quite frankly there's a lot to lose like you said in terms of the confidence and especially if it blows a year of service time it's just not worth even if this 60 game season if you're looking at it as oh it doesn't really matter too much in the grand scheme of things it's still going to matter a lot for these minor league guys who are going to have the chance to get reps elsewhere yeah i think the the what do you have to lose thing i think that to me more applies to the guys that are on the fringe of your major league roster the guys that you right. maybe signed to minor league deals or you're just kind of trying them out um, as opposed to your top prospects i think I think you do have a lot to lose with those top prospects because you have the service time, you have content, potential uh, confidence hit. Um, you know, you, you, you just do have more to lose with those top guys as opposed to some of the other guys. Uh, all right, final big storyline heading into summer camp. Christopher Davis. Are we going to get a return to form, Brendan? We saw a little bit of it in spring training. We, he hit 467 
with three homers in nine spring training games, was walking a ton, had an OPS of about 10, uh, and we were seeing a renaissance from Chris Davis. I was getting hyped. It took me a little while to get on board the train, but I was there. But now he's had three months off, and now who knows what this weird season and what this is going to look like, how this is going to proceed. But does he have a chance to recapture the magic that he was already beginning to grasp back in Sarasota? Okay, I, I think we can all agree that the league shut down because nobody was ready for the Chris Davis comeback Probably, season. Probably, yeah. Think, I think we can all agree on that. But I, I want to focus on one thing that you pointed out about Chris Davis that I think is going to make a massive difference this season if he can continue it, and that's his walk numbers. It's his plate discipline. So looking at his stats over his career, when he is ahead in the count, Davis is hitting 287 with a 497 on base percentage. When he gets behind in the count, his average dips all the way down to 153 with a 163 on base percentage. So if Chris Davis is able to get ahead in counts, that could be massive. And I'm not saying the dude's going to hit 300, but if he could get somewhere up close to the 220 range that he was hitting in the 2016-2017 season and hitting the ball out of the ballpark more consistently, that would be a massive upgrade, a right. massive upgrade from where he has been the last two seasons. And I think it all starts with the plate discipline. Well, the next question I have with Chris Davis, what is a, what is a successful 60-game season for Chris Davis? You know, what what kind of benchmarks do you think he has to hit in order to be for this to be considered a, a not necessarily a return to form, but some kind of, um, you know, at least signs of positive improvement for him? Um, I think you do need to, I think if he can hit, I don't know, I, we're setting the bar probably low here as we should, but I think if he can hit in the 240s, I think if he can hit close to 250 and in 20 games, or 60 games rather, if he can start, assuming he starts almost every day, uh, if he can hit maybe 10 homers, do you think that's, or is that too low of a bar there, Brendan? I don't think it's too low of a bar. I mean, it's a 60-game season. 10 home runs is still decent. Right. You know, that, that's still a decent season. I, again, I'm setting the bar a little bit lower. He was around that 220 average in the 2016-2017 season, and even though those weren't his best seasons by any stretch, it was still better than the production that the Orioles have gotten the last two years. So if he can return to that over a 60-game season, I think that's signs of improvement. And it's trending in the right direction. Yeah. All right. Well, those are the three biggest storylines to me. Are there any? Is there anything else? I mean, th- those are the biggest on-field storylines. But I, th- I can see so many other storylines <laughs> developing over the course of this. Just what this is going to look like, games without fans, all that kind of stuff. But is there anything else on-field, Brendan, that you think is worth monitoring as they start summer camp? Well, I think there's a few guys that are close to getting to the major league level that maybe it's worth playing a 60-game season, maybe not your most highly touted prospects, but still guys that could make an impact at the major league level. I'm talking about a Ryan McKenna, a Mason McCoy, Ryland Bannon. I think those are three names to look at where maybe it's worth rotating them in throughout the 60-game season. It's not pitchers, you know, because if you call up pitchers during a 60-game season halfway through, they're maybe only getting three or four starts. So maybe that's not worth calling up. But if you call up a guy like a Ryland Bannon with 50 games left in the season, he's going to get some quality run at the major league level. And maybe you can see if you have somebody who could be a utility man in the future or something along those lines. So I think that could be worth calling up some of those, you know, fielding prospects and see if you have anything with them. Yeah. Even during a 60 game season, I think that's certainly worth calling them up. And I think it's something to monitor. And another weird kind of quirk to this. You know, with spring training, when it comes to position battles, we always have at least uh, four or so weeks of games to fall back on in terms of statistics. But we're just going to kind of have to go with word of mouth here. You know, you're not going to have the games to judge these players by hard numbers and statistics. It's going to be, all right, who do the coaches like? What do we see with the naked eye uh, to kind of guess where the, you know, it's going to be hard to determine who's winning and losing these battles um, as as summer camp goes along, they will have the chance to play up to three exhibition games against uh, local teams, 
uh, as spring training ends, so potentially, or summer camp ends, so potentially they could be going down to D.C. or something like that. We're going up to Philly to play a three-game season or a three-game exhibition start, so we could get that, but I think by that point, probably most of these debates will have been settled, but boy, this is going to be strange, and we're just going to have to talk to the beat writers every day and try to get our actual eyes in the ballpark as much as possible and see what's going on and just hear, listen closely to what Brandon Hyde has to say because we're just, this is all uncharted territory and we're just figuring this out day by day here. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting case with the Orioles as well. In a, in a team that's in a rebuilding mode, there's a lot of guys that could potentially be part of this major league roster and it's going to be even tougher for us to figure out who is going where and how they're doing and things like that, because there's just not enough of a sample size. If you look at a team that's maybe more of a contender, their lineup's probably going to be set. Their pitching rotation is probably going to be set. But with the Orioles, we could see a lot of moving pieces, and it's going to be really interesting to see how those pieces move in a much shorter time frame. Yeah, exactly. Brendan, thanks so much for joining us here on Mass and All Access Podcast, at Brendan Morty, of course, on Twitter. Uh, I am at Paul Mancano, and um, good job not matching. We'll see if we can do it again. Yeah, we'll see. No promises, though. Now we are joined on the Mass and All Access podcast by Orioles broadcaster Kevin Brown, whose hair is longer. And first off, Kevin, <laughs> I got to say, this is a miracle that I'm having you on, considering I have ghosted you over the past few weeks. You texted me on draft night back on June 10th. And uh, I I have some excuses prepared, but uh, I did not get back to you until literally yesterday. Yeah, um, I I can't add to that because you've already exposed your pain. And so <laughs> in, in in truth and in, in deference to your honesty, uh, I will just leave it at that. Okay, but I'm I'm so appreciative to be talking to you. Now. <laughs> I mean, I, look, the Orioles were on the clock again later at pick number thirty. Mm-hmm. I, we had a Nats yeah. show to do. It just kind of, you know, I was working the the, the phones trying to get trades. You know, it sure. just kind of it's it slipped through the cracks. Um, but that are being, are you said, the are you the Woj of the MLB draft now? What is this? Yeah, I mean, I was I was on my phone at the desk. I mean, if that isn't yeah. Woj like, I don't know what is Schefter. Dare I you say t- you tweeted out the Baltimore Orioles are said to be <laughs> ravenously considering. Yeah, yes. And I was like, I was like three picks ahead of the, uh, of every pick, but yeah, uh, yeah. look at you. Yeah. Um, well spoken like a true uh, ESPN broadcaster as well with, with that kind of, insight. thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, but Kevin, I want to get your thoughts as we begin summer camp, because this will certainly be the strangest, uh, the only summer camp. So the strangest summer camp by <laughs> default, uh, facing the Orioles right now but uh, as we enter we resume kind of where we left off back in March and spring training what kind of things are you looking forward to to seeing in terms of on-field positional battles uh, you know uh, how these guys are going to be able to prepare all that kind of stuff what do you expect from uh, the summer camp as it begins first of all I'm looking forward to thinking about positional battles again. Yeah. I mean, I, we, we haven't talked about this for three months. Uh, I'm just excited to get to think about this at all. Specifically, I was curious who was going to be the number five starter at a camp. Thought that it would be Means, Cobb, Wojo, probably Wade LeBlanc four. And I am still curious who's going to get that fifth spot. Might well be Cole Stewart, who's a former first rounder. Mm-hmm. And then positionally, I think most of the opening day group is probably set. I am curious how the catching reps will break down this year between Pedro Severino and Chance Cisco. And now that we know Trey Mancini is officially not going to be playing this year, uh, I want to know who gets that other corner outfield spot. I'm assuming Austin Hayes will be in center. I'm thinking Anthony Santander will probably be probably right, but maybe in left field, it leaves a spot either way. And the two primary outfielders on the 44 man group so far, along with those two uh, would be DJ Stewart and and Dwight Smith jr. Obviously the Orioles will add more. Obviously some of the infielders can play outfield, but I would think it's down to those two. And and I would like to see DJ Stewart as a, a healthy 60 game player this year. 
And I'd like to see what he can do. There's no knock against Dwight Smith Jr. I just think we had some really strong periods to watch DJ Stewart last year. His minor league numbers were off the charts. And as happens, uh, he got bit by the injury bug. So I'd love to see a healthy DJ Stewart this season. And I think if he is healthy, I think it's probably his spot to lose. And of course, the Orioles listed 44 guys on that 60-man player pool. It, I, I got to say, personally, this could have just been my ignorance, but I didn't. I thought they actually had to name 60 guys for their 60-man player pool, but turns out they can just kind of name, you know, however many or few I, they wanted to. I, I don't think it's your ignorance. I think it's that we've just been thrown a lot of new rules and rule changes and tweaked rules at once. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't... Um, uh, I, I don't know if we we all know yeah. all of the rules right now. There's a 108-page operations manual that I've not exactly made my way through <laughs> yet. So I think you get a pass for that one. Yeah. It is interesting, though, that some teams have just gone ahead and and, and said, you know, here we go with 60. I, I like the phased approach that the Orioles are taking. In it. And when you look at who was not on the list, yeah. Mount Castle, Rutschman, Diaz, Aiken, et cetera, it makes sense to go 44 and then let's bide our time and let's see which of the young players we think will most benefit from this. I, I like that there's no rush. Like this to me, this is a microcosm of the Orioles process, right? It's, it's just the naming of a roster pool, but it's a microcosm for the organization right now. There's no quick fix here. There's no rush to get things out, take our time, deliberate, build toward the future. And I think when you see the next 16 names, probably those 16 names are going to look a lot like the future of the Orioles in two, three years. Yeah. In terms of those guys that could be on that list, uh, they, as Michael Elias has alluded, might be guys like an Adley Rutschman, a Grayson Rodriguez, a DL Hall, uh, guys who are not going to make their major league debuts in 2020, but just to get them reps and to try to develop them and not have this be a totally wasted year for 2020. Uh, but do you see that kind of being their strategy as they look to fill out the final 16 names of the 60 man player pool? Yeah, I, I think it should be. Um, you can probably get through a 60 game season with the 44 guys that you have named now in the roster. We don't know. I mean, Obviously, any team could have an outbreak of the coronavirus and 10 players could be knocked out at once. But if we just put that variable aside, this seems like the kind of group that will formulate the bulk of the Orioles roster this season. Um, There are enough players that were, frankly, a part of last year's team. Like You look at the projected opening day lineup right now, and it's maybe only Jose Iglesias – that's a new player in the lineup. We, we assume Austin Hayes is going to be there and Santander and Renato Nunez should be there and Alberto and Ruiz and, and Chris Davis and either Severino or Cisco. So, yeah, I, I think the next 16 guys will be the kids. They will be some Ryan Mountcastle, Keegan Aiken, who I'd expect to make some kind of major league impact at some point this year, even if it's not opening day. And there will be some that just won't. Make the team. Adley Rutschman is not going to play in the big leagues this year. Yeah. D.L. Hall, Grayson Rodriguez will not play in the big leagues this year. Yeah. You want to add somebody like Adam Hall or Gunnar Henderson in the infield just to have them around? Those guys are not going to make the big leagues this year. But knowing that, knowing that you have a 44-man pool, which is mainly filled with, um, with veteran players and former major leaguers, and knowing that the approach is still the build from the ground floor up, it feels like the wise move is let's fill out the roster with guys for whom the development, the experience of being around uh, the benefits of being on this roster will outweigh just uh, sitting at home and will outweigh taking somebody else's spot. Because it feels like if you have a shot to be in the bigs this year, you probably were on that 44 man roster. There aren't too many names that you can see being a legitimate major league impact player that are not on the 44. Maybe somebody like Richard Arrania, who's not on there. Um, Taylor Davis is as a backup catcher, Evan Phillips. For the most part, if you're going to make a big league impact with the Orioles, you're probably already on the 44. Right. And, and of those 16 players, I mean, 16 is a lot of spots. And we just mentioned a few of them, Rutschman, Hall, Rodriguez, et cetera. But 
I mean, what's to stop them in theory now that they've officially signed him from adding a Heston Kerstad potentially sure. to that list if, if you know, he is just one of those guys that they don't have any intention of playing in the big leagues in 2020. But, you know, they, they certainly don't want to waste a year for their number two overall pick and have him just not get any acclimation to the Orioles system and, and their process. I mean, could you see that potentially being a, a, a roster spot uh, taken up by Kerstad? Yeah, absolutely. I could. Now that he's officially signed, um, it may well be the way to go. I think the Orioles will have to calculate as other teams will. What is the likeliest development track for this player? If he's not on the 60 man, what can he do individually? What can you do in a reopened spring training complex? What can you do at home? Again, who knows what the virus is going to do permanently this season to complexes in Florida uh, as cases continue to rise there. The best chance of a year of development may well be being on that 60-man squad, even if you don't have a chance of making the big leagues. It can just be a developmental spot. I, I think there's enough leeway there. And in a funny way, I wonder if, that experience might actually be a better experience for somebody like Heston Kerstad or maybe Hudson Haskin or maybe um, Anthony Cervillo or one of the other draft picks, Jordan Westberg. Yeah. Maybe it's a, a better experience to be around big leaguers, to be not all that far from the big league team, to be playing in simulated games with guys that will have likely been in the majors at some point that season maybe in a, in an odd way that could be better than just kicking around rookie ball pitching right for a couple of months uh, it's a very limited subsection of people for whom this could be a positive thing in baseball but i do wonder if the 2020 draftees may actually benefit from yes this. i mean certainly there's a reason that they wanted adley rutschman in big league camp to start 2020 you know that even though he, they knew he was not going to play at the big league level, I mean, that all the talk is, well, he's getting acclimated to players, and he's he's in a room now with big league players and with a Brian Holiday and Chance Sisko and guys that have caught games on a major league level. So, sure. uh, I mean, following that logic, I think absolutely that it, it could be a great opportunity. And, you know, if you have this second site that has maybe 30 players, you split them evenly between the two sites – there's even fewer players to kind of get lost in the shuffle. It's not like you're in a room with 60 guys and you're just trying right. to make a name for yourself. You're, you have more uh, close contact um, and, and maybe, in theory, more hands-on instruction um, than you might otherwise. But um, all interesting things to think about. But I think one thing for you to think about, Kevin, and I don't know how much consideration you've given to this, but if you are going to be Likely calling... Likely none. <laughs> if you're going to be calling games at Oriole Park at Camden Yards this year... And you are up in that press box, which is very close to the field in terms mm-hmm. of other ballparks around big league baseball. Everybody looks back to the the no fans game several years ago at Oreo Park at Camden Yards. And there were some players that said that they could hear the broadcasters and Gary Thorne and Jim Palmer calling the game while they were either on the field or in the dugout. So my question for you is, are you prepared to have players listen to you while you call the game? Is Are you going to be self-conscious saying stuff about these guys while they are hearing you and standing up at bat or standing on the mound? I think ultimately this is why Thorny did the call as uh, as if he was calling a route of the Masters. The Masters, yeah. The, <laughs> the golf call the Adam Jones. Probably somebody slipped him a note that said he, he ticked <laughs> off someone in the dugout. You know, it's... Um, it's something I've thought about previously. I believe it was Jeff Levering, who is one of the voices of the Brewers. Jeff is a friend of mine from the International League from our AAA days. And I believe it was Jeff, and I'm sorry if I'm getting this wrong, but uh, let's, let's go with him. He was in, uh, in AA in California and calling a game in Bakersfield mm-hmm. where it is well over 100 degrees in the summer. And he said there was a, a, a game that, Started at night, 100-degree day, maybe eight people in the stands. And the center fielder went up to him after the game and said, hey, you called a good one today, Jeff. <laughs> and uh, I, I have had similar experiences, not that the center fielder has come up and said, hey, you called a, a good game, but I have heard from one or two people in, in the minor leagues in years past that they've heard me 
Um, I worked in Syracuse. In April in Syracuse, it's cold. <laughs> News flash to some, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, Syracuse plays Rochester and Buffalo and Scranton Wilkesbury. Not great places to be outdoors in April. So you have little uh, uh, sparsely attended games. Yeah. And you have Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays where you're playing in the cold outdoors and there's maybe 25 people, 50 people, 150, 200 people there sometimes. So yeah, you, you, you're aware of it. Um, I was always aware of the fact that our broadcast was on in the clubhouse, which is not, Hmm. not likely the case for major league radio. I wouldn't think I actually don't know for sure, but I've never been to the clubhouse during game, but I'm, I'm almost positive. It's the TV broadcast. That is on. Every major league clubhouse is equipped with plenty of TVs. Right. So in the minors, manager gets thrown out of the game, goes back to the showers, <laughs> is in his office. MILB.TV was not really a thing when I first started, so it was you. So <laughs> yeah. you better be on your game because the manager's listening. Or you know, if the starting pitcher gets shelled, gives up eight runs in three innings, and comes into the clubhouse and the game is on and you say, well, John means was just plain awful today. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't go over that well. So I've thought about a version of this before. Uh, I'm always aware that people are listening and that doesn't mean lie. It just (laughs) means like words matter, right? You can say that, um, John Means will tell you he should. I'm using John Means as an example because John Means is the best pitcher on the Orioles right now. So yeah. I hope he doesn't take it personally. Um, I'm sure he's John listening. Means, John, John Means will tell you he should have had that pitch back. Or yeah, John Means missed his spot there. Uh, those are both true. And I just think they're preferable for everyone's sake to saying, well, John Means was just god-awful today, right? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and maybe I'm just not that negative a person, but I, I just try to think about words mattering and being honest without just shredding a guy. Yeah. Crushing somebody for a bad game. If someone's having a bad game, bad week, someone makes a bad decision, absolutely. Uh, it's within my right and anyone's right as a broadcaster or, or a writer or communicator to, to call them out. But um, you can do it in a way that isn't just sports talk radio host screaming at the top of his or her lungs at, uh, at five 30 in the afternoon, yeah. which is how I've always tried to do it. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to be calling the games much differently to eventually get around to answering your question because I am a little conscious of all this, but I, uh, I will ask people if they can hear, I mean, I, I will <laughs> ask Brandon Hyde and I will ask the players if, if they can actually hear what we're saying during the game. Yeah. And uh, maybe we can even give them some strategic pointers. Yeah, I mean, maybe we can say, "Hey, two and zero looks like the catcher is flashing <laughs> for fastball." <laughs> yeah, who needs trash cans? I mean, th- this is <laughs> right. uh, this is the way to do it in twenty twenty. Yeah. You know, I should probably uh, check in with Robert Ford, the uh, voice of the Astros. <laughs> yeah, see what he's got up his sleeve this year. Yeah, I mean, without fans, you know, you can absolutely hear. The, the broadcast should be able to pick up any kind of strange banging noises that are going to be happening from the clubhouse. Yeah. Yeah. Robert Ford's going to be banging a trash can in the Astros radio booth. Now. <laughs> yeah. um, you actually, over your shoulder, for those watching, have a what looks like a sound wave over your shoulder. I wonder if that's the I sound clip sound. of the uh, of the trash can banging. <laughs> that's that's it right there. That's what it, that's what a trash <laughs> that's can the sound evidence. looks like. That was yeah. included in the, uh, the <laughs> report that was sent to Manfred, I'm sure. This, um, someone asked me once if this was a heartbeat. They thought it was a baby's heartbeat. <laughs> so yes, this is a very, this is a very long play. Like <laughs> people who are Something's pregnant. wrong with or that baby. Come to our house or Zoom. No, this is a sound wave of the U2 song, All I Want Is You, which was uh, my uh, first dance song for my wife and I. Oh. She gave it to me as an anniversary gift. Wow. Now I'm making jokes about it, and I feel bad because that's a that's a beautiful story there. <laughs> well, either it's either that's the truth, or either it is the uh, garbage can sound wave <laughs> yeah, that I'm lying to. You. It could be anything. Yeah, no, yeah. I, and I you'll can't just tell. have to wait till opening day to find out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Um, well, thanks so much for hopping on here. We uh, we appreciate it, and uh, I think the the benefit is if if players and managers can hear you during games, at least you won't have to see them in the clubhouse the next day and kind of have to answer for that. <laughs> you, you they can maybe call you out on a Zoom call, but uh, at least you won't have to face them in person. Yeah, this is this is the best possible season to just <laughs> absolutely rip guys. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Rio Ruiz threw it away. What a horrible throw. <laughs> yeah. That guy stinks. I'll never hear from him. Yeah, no. And he'll, by the time next year comes around, he'll, he'll totally forget. Totally. Oh, yeah. They'll forget about it. <laughs> uh, we could see some, some on field uh, chirping back. Who knows? Any kind of, any kind of, that would be funny. Yeah. That would be funny. Like Rio throws the ball <laughs> in the dirt and then he, I make the call and he looks up at the booth and he goes, why don't you try? <laughs> This is this is why put on we need, a glove, Brown. This is why we need all these players mic'd. This is what it's yeah, for. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Absolutely. Huge opportunity there. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for hopping on here on the Mass and All Access podcast. Um, I can't wait to see what the hair looks like in three weeks. Oh, uh, hopefully, there are no no more haircuts from now until then, and it just starts. You, you're rocking the flow at that point. I am hopeful that uh, it will change this weekend. <laughs> okay. Okay. We are going to my in-laws' house. They have hair clippers. There we go. Because it's looking a little mullety all the way back here. I'm getting a little little too uh, Mike Gundy mullet <laughs> yeah. for my tastes. Uh, and but and I am on radio, so true. No, exactly. I mean, know, this is this is the last people will see of me till opening day, frankly. Yeah, and it, it, you have a headshot in the lower corner of the screen too. And I got to say, it looks nothing like you at this point. So <laughs> people think that this is a stand-in for Kevin Brown. This is not actually is the guy. <laughs> Um, awesome. Well, thanks again. Uh, take care and, uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you, Paul. That's it for the mass and all access podcast today, brought to you by Marymount university. Visit marymountsaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. Thanks to Bobby Blanco, Hannah Broder, Brandon Mortensen, and Kevin Brown for today's show. Remember you can catch the mass and all access podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, watch it on YouTube, watch it on the mass and all access Facebook page, wherever you get your podcasts, you can get the mass and all access podcast rate, subscribe, like share, do all that good stuff as well. I'm Paul Mancano. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you later.